So Vasyata Dishmaya, let's continue with our first passage of the Shema. And um, I also want to say, because I don't, I don't think I brought it out yesterday, in the requirements for the woman in our davening, don't forget that we also have to daven the morning blessings, which is our 18 blessings that we do in the morning, so anyway, we, we can go more into detail about those blessings and what the morning blessings are um, after uh, we cover, you know, the Shema. And so let's finish with the first part of the Shema. And so that, and we left off yesterday as lessons was with all your resources. And today, let's continue with which I command you today. So why does the Torah passage say that God commanded us this Torah today? When in fact, it was presented over 3,000 years ago. And what does this statement really mean? So Rashi cites a Midrash that addresses this issue. It teaches us that you should not look at these words as an ancient document, but as a newly given decree, which everyone gladly welcomes. So how can we connect to this ancient document and find it meaningful in today's generation? And Torah is not an ordinary ancient document for one reason. And one reason alone, God is the author of the Torah. And when he wrote it, he did so for all future generations until the end of time. God is omniscient and knows every invention and scientific development before it is even conceived. Great scholars are amazed to discover that the Torah's secrets when they plumb its depths. And today's Torah authorities connect halakhic issues with new discoveries and technologies. So triage and medical care, Alzheimer's and dementia and the elderly, fertility issues, sale and donation of human organs, traveling near the international dateline on Shabbat, etc. All of these issues and more are found in the ancient document of our Torah. And that is what makes it so refreshing and meaningful, meaningful for us. So... The next, the next phrase, upon your heart, upon your heart. So the question arises, why are the prayers we offer upon your heart? And so rather it would seem that the prayer should be in your heart. And Rabbi Menachem Mendel of Kotsk suggests an astute interpretation. Often when you pray, your prayers may be sincere, but they may not be instantly accepted by God. And this doesn't mean that these prayers disappear or rejected because they were offered with good intentions. They remain upon your heart. But when an occasion prevents itself, they may penetrate deeper into your heart and ascend to heaven. And this wisdom of the heart is the essence of success in the Torah teacher. When our Torah describes the role of the father teacher transmitting Torah to his children, it seemingly mentions only the intellectual aspects. But yet wisdom and knowledge of the mind are inextricably bound to the emotions and sensitivity of the heart. And this is as it should be. For the father or teacher, Torah is much broader than teaching any particular law. It's about musar, ethical behavior, and incorporating our teachings and values in our relationships with others and internally within ourselves. It's only fitting then as a prerequisite to you shall thoroughly teach them to your children that the father absorbs the Torah upon his heart. And in this way, he will be the best teacher possible, focusing upon both the minds and the hearts of his children. Okay, so the next says, you shall teach them thoroughly to your children. And here, the exact translation 
It's not so clear. Rashi suggests that it means the father's words must be sharp like a tooth. That matters of Torah should be sharp and clear in your mouth so that if the person asks you something, do not stutter. Rather, answer him immediately. And then Netziv presents a different perspective. He proposes that the Hebrew, the, the Hebrew word there is related to the word repetition, as is the term Mishnah. And in his words, that he should review this idea and obligation before his sons and implant all of this in their hearts. And from this section of the Torah, it would appear that the mitzvah of teaching Torah is entirely incumbent upon the, upon, uh, on the father. And we have to understand how this personal relationship of father to child mushroomed into an educational system of yeshiva teachers and their students. So in the first century, uh, Yehoshua ben Gamla established the beginning of what we now call the yeshiva educational system. And centuries later, in the Talmud, Rabbi Yehuda, in the name of Rav, praised them with all the ultimate accolade. If not for him, the Torah would have been forgotten from the Jewish people. So originally, if a child had a father, the father would teach him Torah, and whoever did not have a father would not learn Torah. And ultimately, Yehoshua ben Gamla instituted an ordinance that teachers should be established in a city, in each and every region, to give all children the opportunity to learn Torah. And while it was an absolute necessity to establish a yeshiva system of education to ensure that all the children receive formal for, uh, Torah education or instruction, the model for Torah transmission is essentially father-son. And what makes the father-son model of Torah learning the ideal? Rabbi Yitzhak Hutner offers that there's one quality that makes this model successful. Love. So before reciting, reciting the Shema each morning and the Ahava Rabbah blessing, we appeal to our Father in Heaven to enable us to learn Torah. You have loved us with great love, my Master, our God, and with boundless compassion. You have had compassion on us, our Father, compassionate Father, and still in our hearts the desire to understand and discern, to observe, perform, and fulfill all the teachings of your Torah in love. So love is a catalyst in the Father-Son relationship as in the paradigm for a successful rabbi-student you know, support, rapport, relationship. Rabbi Huntner notes that the laws of honoring one's parents in chapter 240 of the Shukhan Aruch parallel the laws of honoring one's teacher in chapter 242. And this juxtaposition reinforces the theme that the rabbi-student relationship draws from the father-son dynamic. So Hillel, Hillel used to say, be one of the be be of the students of Aharon, loving peace and pursuing peace, loving mankind and drawing them close to the Torah. And if you want to inspire others and bring them close to Torah, the formula is first and foremost to love them, to love them. So here it says, "You shall speak of them." So what do the words "you shall speak of them" add to the imperative of "you shall teach them thoroughly to your children"? So teaching Torah thoroughly means facilitating an in-depth understanding of the topic under discussion. What you learn in this format must be sharp and clear without any doubt regarding its meaning. So when the Torah follows with the verse, you shall speak of them, it means that the Torah you have learned formally shall not remain within the four walls of the Bekmidash. The Torah that you learn is Torah's Hayam, the Torah of life, which goes out into the world. So you shall speak of them Everywhere you go, 
when you sit in your house and when you travel on the road and when you lie down and when you rise. As it says here in the Shema. So in this verse, parents are reminded that they are role models for their children and they must be consistent in how they conduct themselves. If parents have higher standards of religious behavior in their homes than when they go on vacation, then their children may very well sense this discrepancy and question it. Children are very sensitive to their parents' practices. Even if they don't voice their concerns, sometimes the unspoken gestures, which do not comport with Torah values, speak louder than words. And then as it says here, you shall bind them for a sign on your arm and they shall be an emblem on the center of your head between your eyes. So what's the significance of binding tefillin on the arm and head? So from the preliminary prayers before putting on tefillin, we find an answer. The arms symbolize deeds. Our religion is not just a theology of the mind. We have to remember as human beings that we go out into the world and our deeds make a difference. Those deeds may be mitzvot between man and God or between man and his fellow man. And since the placement of tefillin is on the arm, opposite the heart, we understand that all of our intentions and actions should be de dedicated to God and his service. And the tefillin that we place on our head represents our thoughts and senses as well as our neshama which should be committed to God's will. So in a broader sense, the tefillin placed on our head represents the Jews as thinkers and Torah scholars, while those put on the arm reflect the physical actions of the Jew in this world. And interestingly, tefillin is, 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 is not worn on Shabbat. So the reason offered by the Talmud is that Shabbat is designated by the word and sign, and that tefillin are also called a sign. And the rabbis derive from this analogy that the two signs of Shabbat, Zahor and Shamor, remember and observe, replace the two signs of tefillin on the head and the arm. So on the surface, the comparison seems wanting, but on further analysis, the connection becomes, becomes clearer. Remember, on Shabbat corresponds to the tefillin of the head, which is both spiritual and intellectual. And observe, the Shabbat relates to the tefillin of the arm which relates to the physical preparations and enjoyment of Shabbat. Rabbeinu Asher, known as the Rosh, concludes that the two signs of Shabbat place the two signs of tefillin. And therefore, we don't wear tefillin on Shabbat. So now, the next verse where it says, And you shall write them upon the doorpost of your house and upon your gateways. So perhaps the most outstanding of one's material possession is his home. And the Torah recognizes this fact and asks for us to post God's most important messages on our doorposts and on our gates. It's an inconceivable that this home, where we learn the, and live Torah, where we observe Shabbat and celebrate Yom Tov, will not have a stamp of Jewishness on it. And the, the mezuzah is that emblem. And just as the signs of our personal commitment to God are worn on our head and arm, they are placed on the doorpost of our dwelling. And so unlike the mitzvot, where we relate our love and loyalty to God by performing a specific act, the mitzvah, a mezuzah, does not require a homeowner himself to physically affix mezuzot. When one puts on talis and tefillin and recites shema and shmona esrei or waves a lulav in etrog, he has to do it himself. He can't fulfill this obligation by assigning it to, to, to another person to be performed on his behalf. The mitzvah, then, of the homeowner is to make sure that the mezuzot are installed properly, even if he can't do it himself. Mezuzah is thus a passive mitzvah. So how do we experience the mitzvah and mezuzah when we're not at home? 
And some feel that when they are in a holy place, a shul of Amidash, a higher standard of religious conduct is expected. And in those places, they feel closer to God. Yet, when they return home, which is missing the holy ark and the Torah scrolls, and is lacking the spiritual atmosphere of the shul, they resume their daily mundane activities and don't focus on their spiritual needs. And that's why we need spiritual signs of God's presence in almost every room of our homes. The mezuzot are our reminders that our role as a holy nation is ever-present. Whether we reside in our homes, whether there are many mezuzot or when we travel on the road. Rabbi Michael Hatin of Alon Shavut expresses this concept well. The mezuzah is fastened at approximately eye height and is therefore unavoidable visual cue when one enters or leaves a room. It is as if all of our home activities are lived in the presence of the Shema instruction, as if no part of our private lives can be lived detached from its overarching message, as if entry, exit, and dwelling can become godly pursuits. And the Rambam writes, that one is obligated to be very careful with the observance of mezuzah because it applies to everyone at all times. Says, whenever one enters or leaves a home with a mezuzah on the doorpost, he will be confronted with the declaration of God's unity. Blessed be his holy name and will remember the love due to God. He will realize that nothing endures to eternity except knowledge of the ruler of the universe and this thought will immediately restore him to his right senses and he will walk in the path of righteousness our ancient teacher said he who has to fill in on his head and arm seat seats on his garment and a mezuzah on his door may be presumed not to sin for he has many monitors angels that save him from sinning as it said in the book of uh, Tehillim 34 the angel of God camps around them that fear him and delivers them we're going to continue with the second passage of the Shema. Bezrat Hashem tomorrow. Baruch Adonai Leolam. Amen ve Amen.